So I get to tell you guys, I get to introduce this, um, this series for you guys. I don't know if you've seen the, the social media blast or seen the emails, but um, our Christmas Advent series is called Behold. Everybody say, Behold. Say with some bass in your voice, Behold. Just more power, Behold. <laughs> it's okay to have fun in church, I promise. Behold, um, in Luke 2... Uh, verses 10, 11, it says this, it says, and the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news. Everybody say good news of great joy. Everybody say great joy. That will be for all people say all people for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Is that good news? That's good news. So behold, behold means in this sense right here is to be sure and see. Um, What we kind of came up with is you don't want to miss this. To behold something is something that you don't want to miss. You don't want whatever is happening in your life right now. You don't want to miss this. That's the chef. That's the angel speaking to the shepherds like no matter what is going on. You don't want to miss what is happening or what is about to happen. When I was a kid, um, we didn't have DVR because I was born in the 1800s. And so there was no DVR. And so when there were TV shows, like there were certain events on TV or things that you just, you had to be there. You had to watch it. Like you just couldn't just like start watching the Super Bowl 20 minutes late. Like you had to watch it or you would miss it. Like, um, Martin was a big um, sitcom when I was a kid, and if you came to school and you didn't see the new Martin character, you would just you 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 didn't know all the jokes. Like you were left out. Like you, if you didn't watch Martin the night before, you were just done for like a whole week till the next Martin came on. It was, it was tough, man. It was rough days living in the 1800s. Um, you just couldn't miss things, right? So, I like, um, I think when I got older, there were just other things that I just absolutely could not miss. You know, like the birth of my four kids. Like, behold, I needed, I could not miss the birth of my four children. Um, and then when they graduated high school, I could not miss their graduation. And then my son, my oldest son, got married, and that was just something that I just could not miss. And the angels show up to the shepherds and they say, behold, don't miss the good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. What was the good news of great joy? The good news of great joy was that the Messiah is here. Salvation is here. Born to us a child. God in the flesh. He is here. Our, our, our rescuing is here. Our, our redemption is here. Our freedom from bondage is here. Um, today we would say our freedom from depression is here. Our freedom from anxiety is here. Behold, you don't want to miss our freedom from lack and a poverty spirit. It's here. Our freedom from an orphan heart is here. From feeling from you have something to prove or that there's something to lose, we get free from that. That is here in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We get free from trust issues here. It's here. He's here. There's good news and there's great joy coming because our freedom, our salvation, our redemption is here. And that's good news. Everybody say good news. And it's great joy. Everybody say great joy. 
And it's for all people. Everybody say all peoples. It's for all people, not just the religious elite. That's why the angel appeared to the shepherds, right, to some common folk like you and me, that Jesus is the only one who is all-inclusive. Amen? So he's for all people. But this wasn't the first time that men were told to look for Jesus. Um, kind of the basis for the series is going to be based on Isaiah 9-6. And 700 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah gets this prophetic word of not only what is coming, but who is coming and what he is like. And we get a, descri- a description of him in Isaiah 9, verse 6. It says this, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In the same way that the shepherds were given an actual description of how to find Jesus, we have been given a description of what we can be sure to see in Jesus. See, Advent just simply means arrival. And in the arrival, we're wrestling with our current struggles or our current situation, and we're wrestling with our current needs and what's to come in Jesus. And if Jesus really is the reason for the season, then we need to search for who he is and not just what he did. Amen? Isaiah tells us who he is, and that's something that we just cannot miss this season. We can't miss it. We can't miss who he is, what he's done, how much he's loved, and what he wants to do in us and through us. So for this Advent season, we are beholding. We are not missing. And in our not missing, we're sharing the love of Christ to everybody that we work with, everybody in our families, everybody that we come into contact with. The love of Christ is just going to flow in us and out of us this season. Amen. Behold, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. So today, to kick off our series, we get to hear from our very own Megan. She's going to come up and preach the word. Let's welcome her to the stage. and She's going to teach us about our wonderful counselor. Thanks, Rob. Um, I wasn't planning on doing this, but I was sitting there, and I'm going to, and Chris isn't here to tell me not to, so Caitlin will, Caitlin will tell me later. <laughs> um, the build-up to this message has been really hard, and um, there's this short story by Brennan Manning. It's called Patch Together, and there is, it's about a young boy, and it's really the life of Brennan Manning, and there's this moment in the book <clears throat> where... The, the main character, he is going to speak at a church. I think after a long time distant from the church, if I'm remembering correctly, and he goes up there, and he goes up to the stage, and I'm not going to do this, but he goes up, and then he leaves. <laughs> and that part always confused me so much. Um, but it wasn't about what he had to say. It was how, his obedience in stepping up and going forward. And so I just pray that the Lord's message is what is spoken today. 
and that he moves. So let's pray. Um, Dear Lord, I just thank you. Would you fill this room with your presence, Lord? Would your spirit reign here? Would you silence any voice outside of your own? Would you silence the voice of the enemy, silence the voice of our flesh, and would you be present here in Jesus' name? Pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, so like Rob mentioned, we are in a, we're starting off our Christmas series, and this is rooted in a verse from Isaiah 9, 6, and it says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. And I get to start off our message today by talking about Jesus as our wonderful counselor. And I am, um, just to give you kind of like a caveat, I'm going to be talking mainly about the word counselor. And then at the end, it will be wonderful. (laughs) See what I did there? Kind of cool. Okay. Um, And so we will get to there. And this week, as I was praying for stories to tell based in wonder, the words wonderful counselor, um, I was praying and praying, and you all know you like, does anybody ever feel this way? Like you have stories in there that you just can't access, you know? And, and I was praying that the Lord would help me access whatever story he wanted me to talk about today. And he brought to mind a woman um, named Gron. And so I lived in Haiti for... Um, five years, and I think we have some pictures of, so I have my, I was a teacher, so there's my classroom, I got like a nice view of the ocean from my classroom, it was amazing, yeah, Um, and then that was the kind of the school ground where kids would have recess, and my first couple years in Haiti, I lived um, outside of the school grounds, and so we had a family that lived across from us, and Gran was like, Gran just means great, so it's like a great-grandmother, okay, so Um, Gron was like the matriarch of this family that lived across from us. And um, the family, there were a lot of families in Haiti that practiced voodoo. And so Gron was just like, she was the matriarch of this family. Voodoo was present in their family, like it was in, in many families in Haiti. And it was so fun to walk out every day, walk out my gate every day of my house, and to see Gron sitting there. And what she would do is she would, she would set up a stand where she would sell, like, spaghetti and tomato sauce and eggs and anything just for people to buy that they might need. And I would walk out my gate, and I would say hi to Gron, and maybe we'd have a little conversation. The other funny part is she, she didn't speak English, and I spoke Creole, but not well, okay? And so our conversations were always mainly like, hi, Bye, you know, and, but it was so fun. I got to watch her, and then after two years, I moved onto the school grounds, so my apartment was kind of like to the right of this picture right here, and so I didn't get to see Gron every day, and so I decided that Saturday mornings, I was going to go, and I was going to sit with her while she sold at the market, because she was somebody that I wanted to learn from. She was wise. Um, she had lived many years. Gron was like, there were people like 90 to 100. We don't know how old she was, but she was old. And, and so Saturday mornings I would go out 
Saturday mornings, I'm saying like 10 o'clock, really. I would go, because I wanted to sleep in, I would go and I would sit with Gron, and she would always ask me, why do you come here in the heat of the day? And, and I would tell her, like, I just want, I just enjoy sitting with you. I just want to learn from you. And like I said, because we didn't necessarily speak a common language, we would just sit sometimes. And I learned so much from her by just being with her. She loved her family so much. She was so patient with the little ones around her. Um, She, yeah, some of whom went to our school and were little stinkers, but she was so patient with them. Um, She was really comfortable with just sitting and just being. There was no need for performance, which was something I needed to learn. It was cool. She, I got to watch Gron come to know Jesus. So she um, started coming to our church, and it was so sweet to have her there. I remember one Sunday I sat next to her, and she just held my hand, and I loved it so much. It was so sweet. But she just cared so well for those around her, and I was able to learn from her by just being with her. And this was a gift that Adam and Eve had in the garden. They got to learn from God by just being with God. Um, They were just with him, and he did give them counsel in the garden. We see this in Genesis. It says, oh, I almost forgot something. So, good thing I have notes. Counsel, we're going to talk about it in two different ways. We're going to talk about counsel as advice. So you could really replace that word counsel with advice. But there's also another definition. We're going to talk about that later. Counsel can also be replaced with judgment. And so we're going to start with advice, and we'll end with judgment. So, in the garden, it said, The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. So, we have God giving Adam and Eve counsel here, right? Well, it's actually just Adam at this time. But don't eat from one tree. Eat, you can eat from any others, okay? Work the garden. This is counsel that God is giving them, and, or giving Adam and eventually Eve. But at this point, here's what's interesting, and I was thinking about this this week, is they had no reason to want or need anything else outside of God's counsel, like, they hadn't experienced anything else. So when, I li- so when I lived in Haiti, people would come and do visits there. And people would um, feel like a deep sadness over what some of the people there didn't have. And I would often tell them, like, you don't, actually don't have to feel that way because people, like, not, they, people don't know what they don't have. And so there's actually a joy there and not a sadness so you actually don't have to be sad. Adam and Eve here, they didn't, they didn't have any experience outside of God until another voice enters the picture. It says, now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the ser- serpent, we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it. He didn't say that. Or you will die. So, oh, it goes on to say, no, the serpent says, no, you will certainly not die. The serpent said to the woman, in fact, 
God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In this moment, another voice enters the picture. And Eve has the choice if she's going to choose God's counsel or the serpent's counsel. And in this instance, she chooses the serpent's counsel. And that has a ripple effect that we feel today. Right? Eve's choice of counsel, the serpent, did not just affect her. It went beyond her life. So, if you've been around prayer here at all, you might have heard this word, um, or you've probably heard it in other churches, and we, before we pray, often we'll say, silence the voice of the enemy, because the enemy is still active today, and we want to silence his voice in our lives, okay? Because we still have that tension, we still have that choice that Eve had between God's voice and the evil one's voice, and we, we have the choice too, I love this um, quote by Charles Spurgeon. It says, how we need Jesus. It's a little wordy, but we'll get through it. We'll get through it together. It has a good point. Okay. How we need Jesus as our counselor. It was by a counselor that this world was ruined. Did not Satan mask himself in the serpent and counsel the woman with exceeding craftiness that she should take unto herself of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of, knowledge of good and evil in the hope that thereby she should be as God? Was it not that evil counsel which provoked our mother to rebel against her maker? And did it not, as the effect of sin, bring death into the world with all its train of woe? Ah, beloved. It was fitting that the world should have a counselor to restore it if it had a counselor to destroy it. I love that. So, um, we're going to... Okay. We're going to jump a few centuries later to Solomon and Solomon's life. And so Solomon was David's son. And Solomon was king, okay, of the, of Israel, of the Israelites, of God's people. And Solomon chose the voice of God until he didn't. Okay, so it says in 1 Kings 11, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. Doesn't that get us in so much trouble sometimes? He had 700 wives. Whew. Whew. Okay, we're not going to talk about that. You can ask Chris about that. Uh, anyways, <laughs> of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's commands. So here, Solomon had a choice. He had a choice between God's counsel and he had a choice between the counsel of his flesh. And so we want to silence the voice of the flesh in our lives. Okay, Solomon made a choice to choose his flesh over God. And that choice had a ripple effect that affected the Israelites going forward. So 
my family. I think we have a, I think we have a picture of my family. I don't know. My family, they um, are so much fun. One year, this was, okay, I didn't have a picture from this day that I'm talking about. So this is from Thanksgiving. Okay, I just love it. I just love this picture. And look at my dad. <laughs> like, peeking his head out. I just think it's so funny. Anyways, um, so for one Christmas, we decided that we were going to go to a Bruins game. So my family lived right outside of Boston. And so we decided we're going to go. It was cold, very cold in Boston. So we all had our jackets on. We went to the game. We're in the stadium, or rink, I guess is what you call it, for a hockey game. And you're kind of like tucked tight in these rows, right? And so we have a family or a woman right behind us, and we're all sitting together. And it's, it's all of these people, except for, I think, EJ and maybe my brother-in-law. I don't know if they were there yet. But my brother, Grayson, you can see up there in the green sweatshirt. He was younger, so he was like 12 at the time. And then uh, my, ne- my nephews were four. They were younger. And so if you've been to a hockey game, you know hockey games can get pretty heated sometimes. And the woman behind us is cussing up a storm. And my family, in my family, we didn't grow up cussing. I know that's not always normal, but in our family, that was what was normal. And so my mom went just like mother hen, right? <laughs> she turned around, and you do not want to mess with my mom. You, she turned around, and she was like, will you please stop cussing? There are kids around. And I was like, oh, gosh. You know, it's like, like when your parent does that, and you're like, oh, you're like shrinking, but thankful that she did it. Anyways, okay, so... This woman, like, seemingly listens, and we don't have to worry about it anymore. So, like, my mom can just enjoy the game. So we sit down. The game calms down a little bit. We're eating nachos, eating peanuts, different things like that that you have at a hockey game. And we go to leave. I don't know who won or lost. Sorry. And um, we go to leave. We walk out into this, like, cold cold winter weather. Like I'm talking like a freezing breeze comes towards us. And my mom puts on her hood and peanut shells fall (laughs) all around her. (laughs) This woman had put all of her peanut shells in my mom's hood. And it's that moment where you're like, want to be like upset, but you're like, man, that was so smart, right? (laughs) You like can't be mad. (laughs) And so it was great. Oh, I love it. So let me try to tie this in. So (laughs) we all have a choice about how we respond to counsel too, okay? Counsel in our lives, how we respond to it. So David, Solomon's dad, David messed up. Okay, I've talked about this a a few times up here, and he just always seems to come up. I think I just love David, but David messed up big time. Okay, he had, uh, he slept with a married woman. He went and killed her husband. Like, he messed up. And so we could say, right, that that choice of choosing flesh over God had a ripple effect. But David when he heard counsel from Nathan, so Nathan was a prophet, Nathan came to him and essentially like revealed his sin to him through a story. 
And when David heard that story, he decided to turn back to God. He decided to repent and turn back to God. He said he was sorry and he wanted to move in the direction of God. And so his repentance actually changed the directory of that ripple effect. So much so that that went into Solomon's life. Let's look at this. It says, nevertheless, for the sake of David your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son, yet it will not tear your whole kingdom from him, but will give him, yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. And so David's obedience in turning to the Lord had a ripple effect of grace on Solomon's life. It actually lessened the consequence for Solomon. And so there is a ripple effect, but we have the ability to change that directory or change the trajectory of that ripple effect. Once we're in one, we don't just continue in it. We have the choice to choose to follow God's counsel. So the counsel that we listen to will affect the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And that can be within our families, that can be within the people around us. The counsel that we choose to turn to, whether that's God's counsel, the counsel of our flesh, the counsel of the enemy, that will have a ripple effect. And in all of that, we always have the choice to turn to Jesus. We always have the choice to go back to God's counsel. I think about the lost son, right? He went and he realized what he had and he turned back to God. He went back home to his father. So Isaiah 9-6 comes from the book of Isaiah. And I said that Solomon's choice had a ripple effect and it had a ripple effect that went down to his son like, like, um, like they talked about in 1 Kings. And that went down even further. So God's people, the Israelites, when Solomon made that choice, it had a ripple effect down towards his son. His son chose counsel of the flesh instead of counsel of God. And that actually separated the kingdom of the Israelites. The Israelites were now separated. They were a divided kingdom. And they were turning to other gods, just like Solomon. They were turning to other gods outside of God. It's this ripple effect of sin. And we get to this point where the Israelites are so far from God. They're so far from God. And that is where we are in in this book of Isaiah. A divided kingdom. Uh, God's people have turned to other gods outside of him. And the book of Isaiah has two messages. It has a message of judgment mixed with a message of which is what we see here in Isaiah 9-6. And it literally, it feels like this like tug and pull. It's like God's anger at sin, God's anger at his people, really in the sin that they are choosing over him. And then this message of hope, this hope that's to come. It is these two tensions, these two messages that we hear in the book of Isaiah. And sometimes, Sometimes we can look at God's people and we can say, how didn't you see it, 
right? Why didn't you just turn to God? (laughs) How did you not see the consequence of what was chosen and just turn to him? But aren't we just like them? (laughs) How often do we choose counsel outside of God's counsel? How often do we choose our flesh over God? How often do we choose the enemy's advice over God? When we talk about divided and we look at our church today, you all, we are We are God's people grafted in, and we are still (laughs) broken. Often we feel, I I don't know if you all feel this tension, um, this tension that Paul talks about in Romans 7. He says, for I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it's the sin that lives in me. So I discovered this law, when I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this death? I don't know about you, but I feel this tension sometimes. Because the counsel that we choose to listen to can lead us towards death or it can lead us towards life. Okay, I said counsel is advice. Now we're going to talk about counsel as judgment. Now, I am going to ask a few questions. This might be weird. It's okay. Um, Weird things grow you sometimes. So I'm going to ask a few questions, and once it applies to you, I want you to raise your hand and keep your hand raised. Got it? Okay. You may want to put your hand down. Don't do it. Okay. How many people in here are guilty of lying at some point in their lives? How many people in here are guilty of cheating? Guilty of murder, guilty of worshiping other gods. I told you, huh? I told you. <laughs> guilty of giving into lustful thoughts, guilty of treating someone else as less than human, guilty of committing adultery. We want to put our hands down because we think of some sins as greater than others. When in reality, the wages, you can put your hand down, the wages of all sin is death. That is where all of us are going towards without Jesus. Without the Holy Spirit, without Jesus as our guide, that is the road we are headed down. So, we silence the voice of the enemy and we silence the voice of the flesh in Jesus' name, because he is the only one that has the power to do that. If we look at John 5, it says, so let me give some context. Jesus was um, talking to the religious leaders in that day, um, and they asked him about um, doing things on the Sabbath. They gave him a hard time for doing things on the Sabbath. And he says, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself 
He can do only what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. Jesus is the only one that would be sitting up front, not raising his hand today. He's the only one. He's the only one that could do that because he was so connected to the Father. He was so connected to the Father that his only response was obedience. He had a choice. He could have chosen to disobey and he didn't. He walked in obedience and because he was so connected with the Father. I love what Blake said last week where Jesus just constantly turned to God. He needed him. He constantly turned to him. And I was trying to think about a way to describe Wonderful Counselor to the kids this week in Kid City. And I'm just going to tell you because I felt like it was relevant. (laughs) But I think about when we come to know Jesus, we like dial his number and we pick up the phone, right? And we're calling him. And now we have this like the Holy Spirit is in us and we have this direct connection with him. And when we talk on the phone with people, right, we hang up and then we call them back when we want to talk to them again. But with Jesus, we call when we come, become believers, and that line stays open. We can set the phone down, but he's still there for us to talk about that. We never push that end button, right? Here's the crazy thing about Jesus and what Jesus did. We're going to get to that in a minute, what he did. But we have a direct line to Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. And Jesus knows everything, He knows what is to come. He knows what is. He knows everything about you. Everything about you. He can number the hairs on your head. And sometimes we are afraid to trust him. But you all, we have a direct line to Jesus and God who knows. Who knows everything. And we have the ability to turn to him at any moment. Any moment, there is no moment that is too late for anyone to turn to him. This week, this week, like I kind of said, was hard. And I, I wasn't feeling great. Um, I, what else? There are other things. Yeah, just a harder week. Oh, the weather. Oh, that was it. Isn't this weather hard for anybody else? Oh, I hate to use that as an excuse, but uh, it was a harder week. And I struggle with being vulnerable. I think I've talked to a lot of people about that. And in a moment of vulnerability, I turned to our church staff. And I was like, I am nervous about this message. I am having trouble feeling God, having trouble feeling connection with God. And that wasn't just this week. That had felt like it had been going on for a while And sometimes when that line between us and God feels fuzzy, we have to turn to others who have another, who have a line to God. Okay, we turn to them and we ask for prayer on our behalf. And so I was so thankful that I did that this week. Okay, and this team prayed and God showed up, you all, in an insane way. If you want to hear about it, ask me later. Um, But I was so grateful I wrote in this moment when he showed up, I wrote on the mirror in my bathroom, like, God is with me. Sometimes we just need a reminder that he is there and that we can turn to him. And it's only because of Jesus that we can do that. 
For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. He's the only one who knows. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. In Isaiah 6, it talks about God as a wonderful counselor. And sometimes we think about counselor as somebody we go and we sit and we talk with, right? But in Isaiah, the context of it and in the Old Testament, it's actually more so like as a judge, what we in our time would think of as a judge. So somebody that we go to to kind of like make a judgment on a scenario, okay? Um, So like Solomon... Solomon, as king, sat on the throne, and people came to him for advice. There were um, two prostitutes that came to him on advice because one of their children had died in the night, and they thought the children had been switched. They both had children, same night. One died, one didn't. They thought the children had been switched. Solomon had to make a judgment on who was correct, whose child it was. Does that make sense? So it's like it is a judgment, not what we would normally think of as counselor. Solomon had wise counsel in that moment. He actually had a, um, somebody bring a sword and said, I, I'm cut this child in two. Ugh. And the woman whose child it was said, give the child to the other woman. And that's how he knew who, who the child was. But Jesus, here's what's so mind-blowing about Jesus and why he is a wonderful counselor. It's because his judgment, his counsel in our lives is like no one else's. We all said we have that hand raised, right? We stand before the throne and we have guilty written all over us. We cannot say we are innocent. We cannot say that we've never done these things. That's a lie, right? We are all guilty before the throne. And I don't know about you, but sometimes that, sometimes that makes me just want to like get on my knees and be like, I'm so sorry, Lord, right? It just brings you to your knees. Your sin, the weight of your sin draws you to your knees because we feel unworthy. And so we are sitting before the throne on our knees unworthy worthy, and knowing we have a sentence of death on us. We have a sentence of death on us in that moment, do we not? And while we're standing there guilty with a sentence of death, maybe our heads bowed down, we hear footsteps that come into the room and that draw our chin up and say, I am taking your place. Jesus comes and he takes the place. He takes that guilt on him. He dies the death that we all deserve. I don't know about you, that makes me uncomfortable because I don't deserve it. But that didn't matter. God's judgment is beyond understanding, is it not? God's judgment is not the judgment that we know. God's judgment is grace when we turn to him. So, 
when we stand before the Father, he now sees the innocence of Jesus on us. And what a beautiful thing that is. So enter Christmas season, (laughs) baby born in a manger, innocence brought here to earth, lived in the counsel of his father, and died the death that we deserve so that we could live. I said that I was going to get to the word wonderful, and here we are. Wonderful, um, it's, inter- it's interesting. This verse in different translations, it's translated dif- different ways. So sometimes it's wonderful counselor. Sometimes it's wonderful, comma, counselor. Um, and I actually don't think it matters because I think Jesus is both. Um, he is a wonder. We want to marvel at him as a wonder this Christmas season. And you can go ahead and you can put up the slide of wonder, wonder, We say wonderful, we think of it as an adjective often, but wonder is actually a noun in this instant. It's the word Pele in the Bible, and it's used as a noun. Jesus is a wonder. The wonder of what he did this season. And I love this about Kids City. I get to sit in the wonder of kids, because oftentimes don't we lose our wonder as adults sometimes? And I love this, in Kids City one time, I asked the kids, who in here, I I forget, honestly, I forget what the message was about, but I just said, who in here wants to follow Jesus? And it was literally just like popcorn. I wanna follow Jesus, I wanna follow Jesus, I wanna follow Jesus, I wanna follow Jesus. (laughs) And I was like, oh, y'all, I love it. Can we get back to the wonder of the Christmas story? A story that we've heard so many times, but that weight we feel and the release we feel from who Jesus is, that is the wonder we are sitting in this Christmas season of what Jesus did for us. And don't we want to go and share it so that more people can say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. Okay. Love it. Let's pray. Yeah, dear Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for a season to sit in what you've done. Father, would you let the reality, would you let the feeling of what you have done for us just be radiant in this season? Would you let that sink into our hearts and our minds? Would you let it be real to us? Father, would you help us to lean on Jesus and ask ask for Jesus's power when we are struggling over whose counsel to choose. And when we mess up, Lord, would you help us to turn to you quickly? Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what he's done. Let us sit in wonder of what he's done. Father, help us to sit in the wonder of what you've done.